0: Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Now, guess what? I'm going to ask you for 90 minutes. If you'll give me that, we'll take a opportunity for those 90 minutes to give you details about current events happening around this world. Current events seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We do that on Prophecy Today weekend. That's the program you're listening to. All of my broadcast partners standing by. In fact, let me tell you just a bit of what we're going to be talking about. Ken Timmerman, he'll be up first. want to see what his reaction was to the reaction of all the world seemingly about the Trump-Putin summit. We'll see what Ken has to say. David Dolan has a Middle East news update. Winky Madad is going to be talking about a special Jewish Holy Day commemorating the destruction of the first temple in 586 B.C. And then the second temple, Herod's Temple, in 70 A.D. John Rood will give us a European Union update. Colonel Bob McGinnis is is going to join us. He has a brand new book that's coming out, and we're going to be talking also, along with Ken, about the Trump-Putin summit. He thinks there's a duel Problem that's going on, not only Russia, but China as well. He's always been a China watcher. And David James and I are going to be talking about his recent trip, his training trip to Israel, and why it's important for a Christian to go to the land of the Bible. That's all ahead, so keep the dial set right where it is. So glad to have you along. I want that 90 minutes. We'll get it started right now. And with that, Ken. I need to know, I could hardly wait to get you on the air to talk about your reaction to the reaction of the Trump-Putin summit. What do you think about all that's been going on?
1: Well, way overblown, first of all. Hysterical for the most part. Uh, people like John Brennan, the former CIA director, saying the president had committed treason shows, I think that reflects more on John Brennan's mental precarious state than it does on what the president said with President Putin. But all that aside, you know, it's it's clear that President Trump misspoke at his press conference. He tried to correct that later. he had given a mistaken impression. It's also clear that there were agreements made in that private meeting, and one of them appears to deal with Israel and the Golan Heights. And going back to that 1974 agreement, uh, the ceasefire agreement between Israel and Syria, that enforced a demilitarized zone up on the Golan Heights and prevented Syrian forces from getting too close to Israeli forces. And that's a very good thing. It's a very good move. Uh, I'd also say this. You have to look at President Trump's actions as much as his words. In fact, probably look at his actions more than his words. Somebody who was very supportive of that particular point of view might surprise our listeners. It was the former president of the country of Georgia, Shali Kashvili, who was overthrown in an election. I mean, he was beaten in an election after Russian interference got a Kremlin surrogate elected president of Georgia. And he said, look, President Trump has done more uh, to check Russian ambitions than Obama did or previous presidents. He has imposed greater sanctions. He has done more damage to Russian intelligence-gathering capabilities here in the United States by expelling their intelligence officers than Obama did. And in addition to that, he has made it clear to Putin that there will be costs for Not just Russian meddling in the United States or Russian disinformation campaigns in the United States, but there will be costs for Russia should it commit additional aggression in Ukraine or other places around the world. And this is something that was not done by Obama. So you have to look at Trump's actions even more than his words. And on his actions, he's been very tough with Russia.
0: Talk to me about uh, the comment that has been made by many, and in particular, the Prime Minister of Israel. Donald Trump made the same statement. Uh, This meeting really was good for Israel. Uh, Would that be a pretty true statement, or what are your thoughts?
1: I think it has been good for Israel. It's clear that Putin and Trump discussed Israel, and Putin expressed his friendship with Bibi Netanyahu. President Trump mentioned this. I think those are very important things. It was a very good thing to get on the table And I think it gave President Trump a bit of confidence that Putin was not just going to act as a spoiler or a troublemaker in Syria, despite Russia's relationship with Iran. We obviously have to see uh, the facts on the ground. Will Russia intervene to keep Iranian troops from the Golan Heights? Will he? intervene to keep uh, the Iranians and Hezbollah from going to the Golan dressed as Syrian soldiers, for example, in Syrian uniform. We have to keep an eye on this. Uh, These are things that need to be verified. But the the language between the two leaders was very positive when it came to Israel, very supportive of Israel. And believe me, that is a huge, huge difference from the historical U.S.-Soviet relationship uh, when it came to Israel, where we were clearly on opposite here we seem to be pretty much on the same side.
0: You know, Ken, I thought it was very interesting that when you look at the situation as it relates to Israel, the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, had a conversation on Saturday night before the summit with President Trump, and then on the Wednesday before, Vladimir Putin invited the Prime Minister of Israel to Russia to talk. So, uh... Both of these major players dealing with the prime minister of Israel, to put it all together right. That,
1: that, that's right. And there's some sense that Bibi Netanyahu, in a sense, served as the intermediary for this very concrete agreement between Trump and Putin to reinforce the 1974 ceasefire agreement up on
0: the Golan Heights. Well, putting that now in line with what I want to ask you next, Conetra has fallen to the Syrian army. And let's go into and talk more about that 74 agreement that was put in place between the Israelis and the Syrians.
1: So what is supposed to happen here, there's a there's a demilitarized zone. Kunetra itself is, is kind of the middle line. I mean, I've been up to Kunetra. I know that you have as well. And all of that is supposed to be demilitarized. No Syrian troops, no Israeli troops. And there's supposed to be a buffer zone between the two. That was breached, obviously, by various anti-Syrian militia groups who have moved in there over the past year. And now the Syrian government has dislodged them, gotten them to withdraw just this past week. What we now have to see is to make sure that the Syrians themselves don't come in and violate that line. And I think that's what we're waiting to see over the next week, Jimmy, is uh, just exactly what will the Syrians do. There's been, there have been rumors that uh, uh, they are going to try to fly drones over the Israeli area. I would be a little bit cautious about that. And my guess is, should they do so, the Israelis would uh, not stand by and allow it to happen. But we're now in a holding pattern here. We have to wait and see what's actually going to happen. The rebels have been dislodged. The Syrians dislodged them uh, with Russian help and with apparently a wink and a nod from Israel. But now we have to see whether the Syrians themselves try to uh, fill that vacuum, which they are not supposed to do under the
0: 1974 agreement. Let me just remind everybody that Kinetra is actually two and a half miles just north of the Syrian-Israeli border. And if you stand on the Israeli side in the Golden Heights, just up on the mountain above, you might have seen this yourself as well, Ken. There's a basic military operation that's watching Damascus listening to their conversations there ready so Israel and the Israeli defense force masked up in that part of the world very interesting developments right. unfolding right there right now uh, talk to me about iran though let's uh, think about iran is the major threat at the north but in the south looks like iran is supporting the palestinian terror groups and that could really heat up why is Iran so interested in the South? Try to drop in military armament to the northern part and the southern part of Israel so they can squeeze them from both ends?
1: Absolutely, Jimmy. This has been going on for quite some time. Uh, even when Arafat was alive, the Iranians were shipping weapons to Arafat. You might remember the famous incident of the Karin A. It was an armament ship that the Israelis managed to, to sink, and it was on its, on its way to the Gaza Strip with weapons. For the Palestinians. So, Iran would like to open up a dual front against Israel from the north and from the south. That's what this is all about. Uh, That's what their support for Hezbollah is all about. That's what their support for Hamas in the Gaza Strip is all about. They've supplied rockets, as we've discussed many times, to both of those groups. And just this past week, they had a simultaneous video teleconference, both in Tehran and in Gaza, where they pledged their support military support for all the various uh, Palestinian jihadi groups, Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Uh, And ironically, of course, Iran did not say, well, we're going to go and build hospitals in Gaza. We're going to help develop Gaza because the poor Palestinians are suffering under, you know, Israeli occupation, Now, tell me what part of Gaza is occupied, uh, by the way. I'm having a hard time remembering that, but that's what they will say. They weren't going to supply aid or development aid. The Iranians only want to supply weapons and encourage terrorism. That is their interest. They want to keep that hot front alive with Israel, both in the south through the Palestinians and in the north from Lebanon uh, through Hezbollah, And they were hoping to the uh, east as well, across the Golan Heights. That frontier is now, we believe, going to be closed.
0: I tell you what, I love political satire. I love the way you handle it as well. Hey, give me a quick report. How's the book going?
1: Uh, The book's going well. Uh, ISIS begins. And uh, unfortunately, we see just this past week there have been reports in Iraq of a renewed movement of ISIS in areas that had been cleansed of ISIS in Iraq. Uh, They've been moving back in. There have been reports of kidnappings again. Uh, And I hate to say it, but this is how ISIS begins. You see it in my book, which you can get at KenTimerman.com. You can get the link to Amazon. Iraq has all of a sudden become a lot more complicated than it was a couple of years ago, thanks to the withdrawal of U.S. troops under President Obama.
0: Very, very bad move. Ken, thank you so very much. Great insight on all of the issues today. Appreciate it. We'll have an opportunity to talk again next week.
1: Thanks so much, to me. Always a pleasure. God
0: bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's a Middle East News update. David Dolan standing by right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy.
0: on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com.
2: And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As promised, we have David Dolan at the broadcast table. We're going to look at his Middle East News update, a number of issues we're going to cover. And then at the bottom of the hour, Winky Madad will join us. He's in Shiloh, a very ancient biblical site in the state of Israel today. So keep the dial set right where it is, Winky at the bottom of the hour. David, uh, unbelievable situation in the Knesset this week, just in the last, I think, uh, maybe 48 hours, Israel has passed the Jewish nation-state law, making it absolute law now that the state of Israel is a Jewish state. Somewhat provocative in some areas, would you not say?
3: Well, yes, Jimmy, and particularly some of the details, the one that the Arabs are most objecting to is the declaration that Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem, is Israel's capital and will remain its capital. Well, that's been said many times before, obviously, and it's been declared by the Prime Minister many times and the various Israeli leaders and presidents. But this is the first time it's been enshrined in law. Uh, this uh, nation state law, Jimmy, it passed 62 to 55, so not a huge majority, but it did pass. It was backed by Netanyahu and his government. Yes, uh, the scene in the Knesset was a pandemonium as the Arab Knesset members tore up the bill and threw it at the Jewish representatives and there were some fist fights even and a lot of tension there. Another thing that it does is it downgrades Arabic as an official language in israel now israel actually has had three official languages jimmy obviously hebrew being one of them the main language of the country the second being arabic and the third being english and the status of english came from the days when the british controlled the area after world war one until israel was created in nineteen forty eight So the Arabs say that's discriminatory, but the bill does call for Arabic to be considered a special status language, so it still has... An elevated language, and the government has said it still. Everything will still be printed in Arabic. The government laws and bills and all public notices will also come out in Arabic, still as they've always done. And uh, Benjamin Netanyahu told the Knesset that nothing really will change on the ground. He said, "We're just recognizing the fact that this is a Jewish majority state. Eighty percent, of seventy-eight percent to be exact, of the population are Jewish. Two percent are Armenian or other, and about." 20 20% are Arabs so they are minority and they always uh, have complained the Arabs that they are discriminated against Israeli the leaders say that's not the case but there have been some examples of that for sure but passion is very very strong Jimmy because of the one now we have the official declaration But this is, indeed, a Jewish state, a Jewish-majority state, and it will stay that way, that Jerusalem is its capital, all of it, and it will remain that way. And obviously, the Arabs, and in fact, really the whole Muslim world, uh, opposes that.
0: Meanwhile, in the north, we're both aware of a community just across the Israeli Syrian border, a little location called Kanetra about two and a half miles north of the Israeli border. Seems like Kanetra has fallen now to the Syrian military. And then that reminds everybody of the Damascus 1974 accord with the Syrians and Israel. Go into that just a bit. And is this a pretty uh, important information about Kanetra falling to the Syrian army?
3: It is important, Jimmy, and uh, we have to keep in mind, though, that there has been an official state of war uh, all along between Israel and Syria. There's never been a formal end to the conflict signed between them, and in fact, even though we had uh, many decades of relative calm, Uh, the syrians still considered israel an enemy state and still uh, talked about going to war one day and joining the other arab and muslim nations and saying that jerusalem must be returned to islamic control and those sorts of things but this is the first time that we've seen syrian forces right along the israeli border Military forces operating like this since 1973, Jimmy, when of course they invaded on Yom Kippur into the Golan and uh, Egypt invaded into the Sinai from the south and we had a major war. So far this hasn't devolved into a direct conflict, although we again had some more action this week. We had Israel again bombing some positions inside of Syria. We had a missile fired. We had of course some things from Gaza too, but this in the north the Israelis remain on full war alert, Jimmy, because, again, Konetra, you've seen it, I've seen it, it's visible from the Golan border, it's very close, it's in what is a unifil zone, a no-man's land set up uh, to keep the two sides Apart, uh, and there are still foreign troops up there. Unifil forces are still stationed in the area. But Jimmy, they decided a long time ago to stay out of this internal Syrian conflict, to not take any sides in that. So they've been basically staying in their barracks all along and not uh... aiding anybody either the rebels or the syrian regime but uh, obviously the a few hundred u.n forces can't stand up to the syrian army backed by iran and hezbollah and russia in particular so they're not even trying but the israelis don't want to be the ones to have to do any action there but the situation is just really bad and jimmy we continue to have tens of thousands of refugees who fled that uh, action in their state in the southwest part of syria they are right along the border of jordan and israel and israel continues to send in aid medical aid to let some of them in actually they have let some in that were critically wounded and needed hospital treatment urgently but uh, generally speaking of course there's no relations between the two countries and they can't just let anybody in But it's very tense, Jimmy, and remains so. Of course, this was the number one topic, or so President uh, Trump said, when he met with Vladimir Putin in Helsinki uh, this week. So... They discussed it, but of course we don't know exactly what was discussed or what the details uh, were or whether there were any firm commitments made made by Putin to curb the Iranians and to get the Iranians out of the country. That, of course, is Israel's main concern, but um, Israeli media reports did say that the Two leaders stressed their support for Israel, and Putin saying he does not intend to attack Israel. He has no war plans at all against Israel. This is what the press is saying that he assured uh, President Trump of. But again, with the Syrian forces operating right along that border and uh, Iran and Hezbollah with them, anything could happen.
0: Talk to me about the Palestinian Authority. They are protesting what some of the Jewish people Israelis, of course, want to do as it relates to the special High Holy Day for the Jewish people, Tisha B'Av, which would be the commemoration of destruction of two temples, one in 586 B.C. and one in 70 A.D. I mean, this is going to go ahead, but the security will be high, will it not?
3: It will, and we have seen under the Netanyahu governments, because he's been prime minister several times... We've seen more nationalism, we've seen more freedom for religious Jews to to do things, do different protests and things, and this is just another step in that process. We talked last week about uh, Knesset members now being allowed to go up to the Temple Mount, whereas before that was very restricted. So this is another step in that direction. Uh Mahav has always uh, been somewhat tense, because it is, of course, a day, When uh, Orthodox Jews go up to Jerusalem and the Temple Mount in great numbers and fast and pray, whenever there's a religious Jewish holiday, there's always some blowback from the uh, Muslims around because, of course, the Quran says that these are infidels that shouldn't be ruling over Muslims, certainly shouldn't have control in Jerusalem, and that the vow is going to be ended and by the way jimmy just one other thing to the first thing we discussed the jewish state law it did originally include a clause that exclusively jewish community could be set up you could declare your little town or whatever a jewish town and only jews would be allowed to live there well that was dropped in the end from the law the prime minister did say well that is going too far but all of this is moving in the direction of greater freedom for religious jews greater activity around the temple mount And that, of course, means greater blowback from the Palestinians.
0: What about the report that a major earthquake in Israel? They've had several smaller earthquakes recently, but a major earthquake could kill up to 7,000 people, destroy many of their bridges. What's the latest?
3: Well, they've been talking about this for some years. The building codes are not really up to the modern standards in many places, and Israel is in a major earthquake zone, there's no question about it. And the last one was in the late 1800s, but one is expected, we're actually overdue for it, and there is a prediction that there would be a lot of destruction in the country if that came. And of course, the Book of Revelation tells us that in the very end of time, there will certainly be a strong earthquake in Jerusalem that is prophesied.
0: Well, that's exactly why I wanted you to talk about it, because when we talk uh, current events, we lead in then to the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. Led you right along the right path, David. You followed the way I wanted you to go. You always do, my good friend. You're a great broadcast partner. So appreciate your help. And uh, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week.
3: Well, I'm glad to do it, Jimmy. Thank you. God
0: bless. We're going to take a break. Winky Madad, as I said, coming to the broadcast table, we're going to continue a little bit further into this Jewish national law, but then talk about Tisha B'Av, explain what it's all about, what the Jewish people do, and what they're praying for, for next year, a temple in Jerusalem. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. I'm here at home base in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as we've already said, we're going out to Pennsylvania the middle of the week, and next week we're going to be at a big conference in Altoona, Pennsylvania. So we want to invite you, tell you more about it on the broadcast next week. Right now, in addition to all the other broadcast partners we have, and may I say, Colonel Bob McGinnis is going to join us here at the broadcast table. He's got a different focus on the report coming out of the Trump-Putin summit. I want you to hear what Bob has to say. It makes some sense. I think you need to have this understanding as well. But let's go to the center part of the state of Israel. Shiloh is the name of the Jewish community, and it's got a great history. 3,000 year, 3,500 years, in fact, to be exact. That's when the Jews came into the Promised Land, and they were to set up their national headquarters there in Shiloh, where they put the tabernacle the man who knows all about the tabernacle in fact during the break i was talking to him about a, another interview that he has just done he did that with the turkish television network this man winky madad our broadcast partner knows everything about everything that is going on. Have to talk to you about what he had the interview with Turkish television, the focus they had at another time. But today, Winky a couple of subjects. Tishba Av wants you to explain that to the Christians who are listening to this broadcast. But there was a law just passed at the end of the week and it's entitled The Jewish National State Law. I would like for you to take a moment, to explain that, and let's talk about why it was passed and what does it really mean.
4: Well, Jimmy, I really can't understand the criticism or the uh, some of the more outrageous remarks made both in the Knesset plenum hall and outside, given the fact that we have discussed some of this in the past, and I'll just sort of sum it up quickly for our listeners. In 1896, Herzl, Theodore Herzl, who is considered the founder of the modern political state of Israel. His pamphlet's name was The Jewish State. In 1922, the League of Nations of over 50 nations, the United Nations at that time, declared that the Jewish national home would be reconstituted Jewish. In 1947, the United Nations partition plan, which never came to fruition, decided to divide up the mandate of Palestine into an Arab state and a Jewish state. So, I mean, I could go on and on like this, but everybody who is anybody, and most of them non-Jewish, know that Israel is the Jewish state. So why these people are getting a little bit hot under the collar when we now have a law that basically codifies that and puts everything into legal and legislative jargon so that it could be Tested in the courts and 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 become the law of the land. I really have no idea.
0: Let's uh, focus on something else for a few moments now. In the time that I have with you today, Tishba Av, the ninth day of the Jewish month of Av, is a special holy day as far as the Jewish people concerned. Uh, talk to us about it. What what happened on this particular day, and it was at only one time in history.
4: Well, uh, there are several fasts of what we call a minor nature, and two major fests. The difference being the minor fests are only during the hours of daylight, and the two major fests, which we've spoken before in the past, the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and, as you said just now, the ninth of Av, in Hebrew, Tisha B'Av. And some of the major, well, I would say the major fests of Tisha B'Av and two other minor fasts are dealing with the destruction of the temple. destruction of the temple is not only a religious act in which we lost the ability to make sacrifices, to have the priests in the temple and the Levites singing and the Israelites coming uh, for atonement, but also political sovereignty. It happened once with the Babylonians, as is written in the Bible, and it happened again with the Romans, and a third time was an attempt by the Bar Kokhba revolt in 132-35 of the common era who managed to take back Jerusalem but then again lost it so we sort of lump all these three events the first temple destruction second temple destruction and the loss of the fortress of Betar, where Bar Kokhba was holding out against the Romans and we fast 25 hours on the ninth day of Av, which usually happens in the latter part of July or very early August in the Christian calendar.
0: And we're at that time on the calendar today. Uh, Tisha B'Av, let me just tell all of our listeners that if you want to read about the record of the very first one when the first temple, Solomon's Temple, was destroyed, uh, that would uh, be found in second chronicles chapter 36 a pretty biblically detailed event that unfolded and of course 70 AD when the romans destroyed the temple once again next tishbaav uh, there's going to be a desire for the jewish people to have their temple on the temple mount but this tishbaav give us the quickly give us the uh, events that take place and what do the jewish people do
4: Well, first of all, the normative element, of course, is the fast. There's no drinking, there's no eating, Uh, we do not wear leather shoes. Uh, The uh, more orthodox among us have not shaved for three weeks since the 17th day of Tammuz, which is another minor fast day I alluded to earlier. For the first nine days, the month of Av, we have not eaten meat. And so basically, we sort of slide, if I can use that phrase, into the Tisha B'av day itself, uh, becoming more and more somber, more and more serious, realizing that God, uh, when he destroyed the temple or allowed it to be dis- destroyed, it's a serious event, and it really ripped out of the Jewish national soul uh, a very essential aspect And, of course, Jimmy, you and I have been talking all these years over the return and rebuilding, hopefully, which is in preparation. And the last point I want to make is that this past week, more and more people are going up to the Temple Mount because of the period. Uh, And, of course, on Tisha B'Av itself, I hope, again, there will be many, many hundreds of Jews who will be able to get up there.
0: You can read Lamentations and also pray for the temple next year. And it is viable. That temple could be on the Temple Mount by next Tisha B'av, could it not? It could. Uh, the Temple
4: Institute has been preparing uh, all the instruments and everything to do with it. Many people have been studying. I think in the past we discussed women who have been weaving and people who are looking to find a proper brown, red heifer That could be used to uh, become cleansed from a uh, religious purity level. Uh, All these things are in the works, uh, and they just might come together sometime very, very soon.
0: It could be next year in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. Winky, thank you for your so- informing type of a conversation. You educate me many, many times when we have a conversation. I'm so grateful. I'm sure you do the exact same thing for those eavesdropping on this conversation. Tishba Av is a special day. We'll be thinking about you as you commemorate it, and we're looking forward to having another conversation with you real soon.
4: Jimmy, thank you for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners.
0: Very informative conversation with Winky Madad, especially as we talked about the high Jewish holy day Tishba and that of course is commemorating the, the destruction of Solomon's Temple five eighty six B C, and Herod's Temple seventy A D. They're praying for next year on Tishba Av, a temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Uh, Let's also join and pray that that prayer will be answered. Well, let's now change the focus of the region of the world where we are from the Middle East to the European Union. John Rood, he lived in Brussels, Belgium for a number of years. He knows that area like the back of his hand. He brings us great insight when we bring him to this broadcast table. John, great to have you along. Let me uh, begin with the Brexit situation. A lot of news coming out of London and what's happening as it relates to Brexit. Seems like the British people today would rather stay in the European Union than accept a no-deal Brexit. Now, see if you can make some sense for us out of all that's happening.
5: The United Kingdom is under enormous stress with Brexit. There's no precedent Forming the agreement is extremely difficult. There's so much tensions that are there. There's talk that there could even be a second referendum under the circumstances, but Theresa May is saying this will not be the case, but it's possible she could be forced into it. There was a recent poll, and actually it came out the majority of the United Kingdom would prefer a no-deal Brexit, which includes being completely excluded. It's interesting, of the poll, the three choices, the least response was that only 17% was in favor of leaving the European Union with a deal. So enormous things that are happening there. Why is the UK in this situation? Well, the European Union in the beginning years, of course, they very stealthily moved towards a political union, but that wasn't the intention of the countries that were joining at that time. The United Kingdom, they joined the EU in 1973, and it was simply, they believed they were joining a free trade association. And it was only a few few years later, in the mid-70s, they had another referendum to stay, and they voted to stay now that it's turning back to having an, a free trade association and not being part of the political union and other hierarchy, everything that the EU has piled on top of this, is strangely enough, the United Kingdom is reacting to that. Because that's the initial intent of what they joined in the mid-70s was a free trade union. Now they've been taken such advantage of, they've paid so much money into this, they're not willing to do that. The solution that has been pointed to for many, many years is they simply could have joined the European Free Trade Association, and this is exactly what Norway, Iceland, and Switzerland did. That was founded in 1960. If they had done that, it would have saved all their troubles.
0: Yeah, and in fact, I'm concerned. And tell me what your thoughts are. Uh, Could this harm the European Union enough that uh, it could break up all of it sometime in the future?
5: Well, we're very, very concerned about the alignment of the nations. And these things happened a bit at a time. It's a very fragile situation. So one thing happens here, one thing happens there. We see things happening in the Baltics and in the Balkans. But uh, certainly a major player breaking out of the European Union could cause a precedent that would existential crisis for the European Union. So that's one reason why the negotiations have been so slow and so difficult. Nobody has a rule book. At one time, the French uh, minister in charge had said all the negotiations had to be done in the French language. Well, of course, that that would have been ridiculous. So if this is done in a way that the benefit is shown to the other nations, then yes, it, it could be something... That increases probability for more and more nations to break out. At one time, we have 28 nations today in the European Union, and 18 of those have a significant euro characteristic that could bring nations to kick out. Which is interesting. If you had all eight, if you had 18 kick out of 28, that would leave 10 but we're not going to say anybody today knows what those ten nations
0: are. (laughs) Absolutely. And the reason we even consider the conversation with John about this issue is because we do believe, I do believe, that the European Union is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Now, as I remember, maybe I need to be corrected on this, John, the Eastern Mediterranean Alliance was a part of pulling together all the nations to form that revived Roman Empire. Greece and uh, the Eastern Mediterranean are having some conversations. What's happening there?
5: Uh, This is a very interesting news item. Through the years since its conception, in a not obvious fashion, the European Union has worked to assimilate their influence in the entire geographic region of the ancient Roman Empire. So... If you take a look at the group of nations today, which is called the Union for the Mediterranean, this is 43 member states. It has all 28 EU uh, nations are members, plus 15 Mediterranean partners. Most of them are the North Africa and the Middle East. Uh, Libya is just an observer. Syria has been suspended. Israel is a part of this Union for the Mediterranean. Uh, that actually formed in 2008. Previously, the beginning of this entire assimilation of the ancient Roman Empire geography, this had started what was called the Barcelona Process Nations in 1995, which became the Euromed Partnership. Now, these, this is just not terminology. Even back in the Euromed days, Uh, There were joint parliamentary sessions between the European Union and these nations of uh, Mediterranean partnership. Now, with the fragmentation that we see, we see actually that the Eastern Mediterranean Alliance, which is Israel, Greece, and Cyprus, are bringing themselves together, particularly the issues of the oil and gas deposits now, which have been recently discovered, which are enormous. Israel is the only major military power of them, and they all share particularly a concern for Turkish expansionism. So Eastern Mediterranean Alliance would be a subset of the Union for the Mediterranean, but again it shows this fragmentation, and the bottom line of all of this is that Israel is gaining an influence into these nations, not only on economic footing, but also in defense and security.
0: Well, this is key again. And I said this last week. Let me remind you why we have these type of discussions, talking about Brexit, how does that affect any Christian, and then talking about the Eastern Mediterranean Alliance. Again, how would that play any role in a Christian lifestyle? Well, what we're talking about is the formation of the revived Roman Empire, which is absolutely biblical, Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 and 23 and 24. More on that when we get to a time when I can take a look at the book. John, I know we only got to two issues, but uh, some detailed information we needed to pass along. Appreciate it so very much. This was very informative. Thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again next week.
5: Thank you. It's very important how nations are aligning.
0: Very interesting conversation with John Rood. Always like John to be at the table since he has lived in Brussels, Belgium for so many years. He knows the players. He knows what's going on. Brings us great insight with his European Union update. Right now, we go to the Washington, D.C. area. Normally, we'd catch him at the Pentagon. It's just after office hours, We've caught him at home, and we're looking forward to the conversation with Colonel Bob McGinnis. Since I read his alert that he sends out to some of us, I found out that he has a different take on the Trump-Putin summit. wanted to introduce that to you, our listeners. And Bob, you've actually already laid this out in your new upcoming book, Alliance of Evil. As I understand it, though, when you send us out that alert... You were talking about, really, the United States is in a cold war, not only with Russia, but with China as well. Now, I know you're somewhat of a China watcher. We've been a long time talking to each other here as broadcast partners, and that is the case, is it not, that China is a major player? How does it fit into the situation of the cold war at the same time with Russia?
6: yeah you know, I see a dual cold war jimmy, and i've outlined an alliance of evil, sixteen major indicators, and i won 't go into that, but you know certainly, when I saw President Trump uh, meeting with President Putin in Finland, Helsinki, the other day, it resurrected especially after all the reaction from the you know left press and many of others, especially the never-Trumpers, that these people probably don't understand the implications as to why President Trump was going in somewhat low-key with regard to uh, President Putin. You know, it's not as if President Trump doesn't know all the bad stuff that the Russians are doing. In fact, I suspect that he listens to intelligence briefings every day and he understands the bad Things that uh, the Russians and Putin have been up to. The fact is that instead of throwing verbal bombs at Putin, uh, we better sit back and consider the implications. Of course, in the thing I sent out the other day, I made it clear in 1961, when John Kennedy met with Nikita Khrushchev in Vienna, Austria, they didn't get along whatsoever. And it wasn't that long afterwards in 1962, that we had the Cuban Missile Crisis and almost came to blows in terms of throwing nuclear weapons at one another at that point. And and I think that uh, having heard what Mr. Trump said, this being probably the worst relations the two countries have ever had, that I don't think it would have paid any meaningful dividend to go in and throw bombs at Mr. Putin in Helsinki. So that's Significant, but you brought up the fact that China is involved. Well, I think it is. I think that what President Trump is trying to do is drive a wedge between Putin and President Xi of China. You know, we need to recognize that China not only is a major economic competitor, it's far worse in terms of the cyber attacks on us, and of course, its military is well funded and growing exponentially. And of course, they have been claiming not only uh, their own sovereign territory, but the South China Sea, the East China Sea. And they're beginning to show inklings across the entire world. They are indeed hegemonic and they have global aspirations. And that's something that we had better wake up to. And I hope that the president is awake to that. And I suspect that he is.
0: Yeah, I, I would think he probably will be also. I want to talk about his approach in a moment. But when you're talking about Russia and China, a dual Cold War going on between the United States and these two powerful nations, would you describe this as a dangerous time in which we're living?
6: Well, I think it's probably the most dangerous time, certainly post-Cold War, uh, but you know, arguably you could say it's the most dangerous time we've had in the last two centuries. You know, if you take into account that you know, Russia in the hands of an authoritarian like Putin, who is incredibly popular at home because of his nationalist approach. Ninety percent of all the weapons are in our two hands. Um, but at the same time, the real powerhouse is the emergent uh, China, and they're under the dictatorship, you know, arguably, of the communist President Xi, who is now president for life, you know, tantamount to Mao Zedong. So these are very troubling times, and we need to recognize that it's not just about economics, of which it is a big part. Uh, It's not just about cyber. It's not just about ideological fights like we had with the communists during the old Cold War, but it's also a very kinetic, a very real arms race that is taking on a very different complexion. It's not just nuclear. It's hypersonic weapons, fifth-generation fighters. Uh, and space-based weaponry, which the Russians and the Chinese are really moving forward on, and we're somewhat falling behind.
0: Bob, I was on a national broadcast being questioned the other day myself about this whole situation, and I said, well, I look at it as similar to how I go about soul winning. I've lived in Israel for a number of years, wanting to try to bring them to the Lord, and when I go up to a Jew, I don't haul off and slap him in the face, I go up and try to build a relationship, and then we start talking serious business about is Jesus Christ true to the Messiah? Now, would that be some way of uh, really kind of describing uh, President Trump's approach to Vladimir Putin?
6: Well, I think it's his approach to Putin. I think it's his approach to Xi and also to Kim Jong-un, as we saw in Singapore on the 12th of um, June. You know, the president has his own way of doing foreign policy. He doesn't go in and start throwing bombs. He tries to win them over, uh, recognizing that he's dealing with some pretty vicious and evil uh, people. And that's just the nature of the world today. And unfortunately, uh, certainly the progressive left, the globalists in this world, don't quite appreciate that approach you know he he went of course to NATO and said look if you want to keep this alliance together you're going to have to pony up more money than you have been uh, because we've been carrying the lion's share of the burden for uh, western europe and that's going to stop uh and of course he's getting some forward momentum and some you know some i think more money poured into the defense of those nations uh much the same as he's taking i think in the middle east as well as elsewhere so the complexities of geopolitics today being what they are, and of course, the I think the infatuation by the progressives and the globalists with some of the evil that's clearly out there is something that we have to be attuned to. And we, prophetically, we have to think about uh, maybe these are, in fact, the end times.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would agree a thousand percent with that. Bob, I know you at the Pentagon work in the area of strategic planning. Now, could this be the case where a president, Donald Trump, is doing what he can to play Russia against China, China against uh, South, uh, North Korea, North Korea against, you know, all of these players, uh, when they're trying to deal with the cyber attacks, the war-making machines they have, uh, the weapons of mass destruction, etc., would that be probably his case that he's working on right now?
6: Oh well, to a certain degree I think that's true Jimmy. Yeah, I call my new book Alliance of Evil because I do see uh, that in the past under President Obama and even to a certain degree under President Bush. You know, China and Russia were pushed together. Well, they're pushed together along with others, the likes of Iran and Syria, North Korea, and there are a long list of countries. And of course, we, the United States, have our NATO alliance, and of course that's troubling because of you know, their lack of investment and over-reliance upon the U.S. So there are so many issues that are really swirling here that the complexities of the world in which we are living today just dwarf what we have seen in the past. And I, and I don't think, quite frankly, a lot of people appreciate you know, how difficult things are today, and how more difficult they are likely to become in the near future.
0: I've read some of your books, and I'm absolutely convinced your next book, Alliance of Evil, is going to help each and every one of us understand this better. Looking forward to being able to get my copy and read it. Bob, thank you so much for your insight. This is something fresh, and I think we needed to have our listeners hear what your thoughts were. Thank you so much. We'll talk again real soon.
6: Thank you,
0: Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David James is standing by. We're going to talk about his recent training trip to Israel. You need to hear this conversation with David James. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, welcome back to Prophecy Today. You've given me 60 minutes already, I need 30 minutes more in order to conclude this broadcast that brought to these microphones and my broadcast table. My broadcast partners with details on the reports of current events around this world that are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. So glad that you could listen in thus far. I'm going to have one more interview, David James, standing by. He just got back from Jerusalem. Well, we'll get to David James in just a moment. I want to remind you that I have a poll question on my website. If you'll go there, prophecytoday.com, scroll down the left-hand column on the home page, you'll find the poll question here's the question. With the Jews pausing to remember the destruction of Solomon's Temple in 586 B.C. and Herod's Temple in 70 A.D., both on the Jewish holy day, Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of the Jewish month of Av, the Jewish prayers will be that on next Tisha B'Av, that's next year, the Jewish temple will be up and operating in Jerusalem. Do you believe that these prayers could be answered? That's the poll question. I believe it could happen. I believe the temple could be up and operating next year on Tishba maybe even sooner than that. All the preparations have been made, that temple could go up as soon as they remove the Dome of the Rock, and that'll take about 30 seconds. Anyway, hope you'll answer my poll question. Pay a close attention to what we see on the broadcast. That helps you to have the correct biblical answer to the poll question. We now bring to these microphones David James. We come together on a weekly basis here on Prophecy Today for the purpose of having a conversation so that we can assist the body of Christ in their daily lifestyle, their daily walk with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to tell you this, and I'm excited about this conversation. One of the greatest places in the world, and I was one time living there all the time. Wish I was back there living now, uh, but uh, then we'd have to be away from all the grandbabies and everything. I'm talking about the nation of Israel. Judy and I moving there way back in 1991 at the time of the Gulf crisis. There at the time of 39 scud attacks on Israel, very unique time to go into the country, help build a church and just have great memories of living full time in Israel. David James works with us here at Prophecy Today during the broadcast. He's one of the professors at our School of Prophets, and now we're bringing him in to assist us in doing our tours. He wants to get into that. I think it's a great opportunity for David to come and join us. We're thrilled that this is going to happen. And David, uh, this week we connect with you. You're just back in the States after returning home from your most uh, recent visit, which included both Romania, that's where you were last week, and Israel. You went there for a couple of days. Talk to us about it.
7: Oh, yeah. I had a great time. And for our listeners who tuned in for the last couple of weeks, I was in Romania serving with Life Romania, headed up by a Romanian graduate of our Word of Life Bible Institute in Hungary, and now being a colleague with him, and uh, I taught God's plan through the ages to uh, somewhere between 50 and 60 of his full-time and part-time staff, and then I went to Israel for five days, and it was... uh, a self-teaching, a self-training tour to help me get ready for co-leading with Jimmy Jr. and perhaps Rick in November, and drove all over the country, rented a car, and uh, it was just a, a great time for me. The, just the way I learned, it was, it was good for me to kind of just be by myself and uh, figure out how to get around in Jerusalem and how to get around the country, and I think it was a really profitable time.
0: Well, I remember my granddaddy asked him one day if he'd teach me how to swim. So he picked me up and threw me in the lake (laughs) by myself, (laughs) and I had to swim back. I guess that's exactly what we did, threw you into Israel, give you a car, and let you go around and find out where every place is. And, And since you just returned from Israel, I thought it might be a good idea for us to discuss your trip just a little bit and why everyone should consider making at least one trip to Israel, especially Bible teachers.
7: Well, you know, I was saved back in 1984, so that was about 34 years ago. In fact, almost exactly 34 years ago this summer, and been uh, a Bible teacher. I started teaching, I think, back in 1988. So it's been 30 years since I've uh, started teaching the Bible. But you know, the very first time I ever went to Israel was in 2014. With uh, went on a trip with you and Jimmy Jr. and had a great time there. And it was uh, it was just an amazing time for me to be there, uh, having taught the Bible, the Old and the New Testament for so many years, but never having been on uh, a trip like that. And uh, it really changed my life and my whole perspective on the Bible. You know, someone has described studying the Bible without having been to Israel is kind of like watching a, a movie in black and white and then going to Israel. It, it changes it into a, a color movie, and it really does that. That really spurred my interest interest in continuing to return to the land of the Bible and then last September I went with Jimmy jr and Rick that was about a four-day trip as well it, they were guiding me and around uh, taking me around the country many of the places that I went to and then doing it on my own again learning it uh, firsthand just me and a map and a GPS and and a car it was something really fascinating for me and I think uh, every Bible teacher really should consider it you know I was uh, when I was in Romania I was With a Bible teacher who travels all over the world, and yet he has not yet been to uh, Israel. And so I just think it's a great opportunity, and I hope that many of our listeners will consider uh, going or going a second time if they've already been once before.
0: Yeah, we do have those second-time tours where we go to locations that we're not able to get into. There's only so much you can do in a 10-day Israel trip. And then, of course, if you add on the four days over to Petra, that's a very special treat as well. You're going to be involved with Jim Jr. and Rick in November. You have something upcoming then where it's going to be somewhat your tour. We're going to come along and help, but uh, it's going to be your tour, correct?
7: Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out, but uh, this will be the first time that I'll be able to uh, promote it with a lot of my constituents. Uh, I've got, actually, I've got about two over 2,000 friends on Facebook and a lot of uh, email partners and people who uh, join with me, and we also have folks from our church. In fact, I was just corresponding with one of our dear brothers at uh, our church over in Paris, Illinois, and he's planning on coming with us, so we're already building up the trip and and looking forward to, to many joining
0: with us. Go to com and then look up Joshua Travel. There you'll find out uh, the dates, the itinerary, the cost, everything needed. Or you can call our daughter Jody. She kind of helps coordinate all of the tours. And the phone number, 423-825-6247. Come and go along with David James and Jim Jr. and Rick. You'll have a fantastic time. Well, David, as we were talking about our discussion for today, you mentioned a book that you had discovered written by a couple of Dallas seminary grads that you highly recommended to me.
7: Well, that's right. It's called The Christian Traveler's Guide to the Holy Land. It's written by Charles Dyer, Charlie Dyer, a good friend of ours, and uh, Greg Hatterberg, who is over the alumni at Dallas Seminary. I found it to be a, a really interesting book. The first part talks about how to prepare for a trip. Uh, to Israel, not just Israel, but it also covers Greece and Turkey and Egypt as well, which is some of that is included in some of the tours that uh, Prophecy Today offers, and maybe uh, in the future looking to expand some of what we do. But uh, it talks about how to uh, prepare for a trip to uh, the Middle East things to pack, things to wear, and and all those things. But also, it goes in a location by location in alphabetical order of all the places in all of those countries, and then gives scriptural references to them so you can tie it directly to the Word of God. So I I found it to be a a great uh, resource for me as I was uh, thinking about how I was going to prepare for
0: my future trips. And as you were doing that, you started out in Jerusalem, Let's uh, go ahead and take it from there. What have been some of your impressions of Jerusalem and the highlights of your time in exploring the city and how you think these things have helped you as a student of the Word of God and as a Bible teacher?
7: Well, my impression driving around in a car where I was on my own versus being in a big tour bus, they were quite different. You don't, you don't really get what's going on around you. You just uh, have somebody take you when you're on a big tour bus. But with these, some of these smaller tours that uh, we'll be taking in vans, uh, it was very important for me to learn how to drive around the city. And one of the things I found was there's no such thing as a straight street in the entire town, <laughs>
8: and, and,
7: and you can't uh, even tell what the street names are, so that was quite a challenge. But from a biblical perspective, try to put yourself back even into the biblical times and the time of Christ. I mean, it's a big city now, but thinking about standing on the Mount of Olives, where the Lord is going to return, and looking west to where the temple is going to stand, and right now the Dome of the Rock is there, and we know that's going to have to come down for the rebuilding of the temple and then thinking about the Millennial Temple, it, looking across the Kidron Valley and thinking about all these things that took place, it just challenges you to really dig into the Word of God even more.
0: Then after Jerusalem, you travel down to the Jordan River Valley, to Jericho, then to see the site where Jesus is thought to have been baptized, over then to the Dead Sea, then south to Qumran, and on into En What were your thoughts about these places?
7: Well, I had never actually driven up to Jericho before, and what I found was, of course, the tour buses don't go there, and what I found was there's a big red... A sign that says this is Palestinian territory, which I thought was very ironic. The very first city that was given to Israel by God is now prevents Israeli citizens from even entering into that town. To stand where Jesus was baptized is a, is an awesome thing. To see the extent of the Dead Sea one day will be made fresh water and fishermen will actually catch fish there where no fish can live to see what God's going to do during the millennium. And the, going to Qumran and thinking about how much that confirms that the Bible has been preserved over the millennia, and then down to En gedi where David uh, escaped from Saul, and uh, again, just an amazing thing to see all these things in person.
0: Now, on your last day in Israel, you told me that you went up to the Galilee, the Golden Heights. That's a very controversial location today, but up there at Caesarea Philippi, and you shared with me something very interesting that you learned about that region.
7: Well, that's true. As I was doing my research, I I was studying uh, that area of Caesarea Philippi is now known as the Banyas, which actually comes from the Greek god Pan. It was originally called Panias, and there is a grotto there where the headwaters of the, the Jordan River are, where a statue of the Greek god Pan was. And it turns out that was declared dead during the reign of Tiberius, and he's only one of two Greek gods who were declared dead, which is very interesting, because it's exactly in this location where Jesus actually says to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So you have a living God as opposed to the dead gods of the Greeks. A very interesting
0: detail. Very, very interesting, and there's so much more I'm sure you could talk about, David. Uh, The old clock on the wall says we have to close it down right now. But uh, before we conclude, uh, would you not agree uh, what we've been emphasizing is how important it is for every believer to travel to Israel at least once, if at all possible? It is, and see if you agree with this, it is a life-changing experience.
7: Well, it absolutely is, and uh, like I said, I had been a Bible teacher for 30 years before I went, and I now wish that I had gone long before. It helped it helps every Bible teacher and every student of the Word of God, which every believer should be to to really get their hearts and minds around uh the the holy land the 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 land of the Bible, and uh, really makes the bible come come alive as they start putting these things into perspective
0: and that's a first hand experience testimonial from our good friend and broadcast partner, David James. Okay, let's go get those people, David, get them ready for the November tour. Thank you so much for reporting on your trip, your training trip in Israel, and we'll have another conversation next week.
7: Yeah, I look forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks so much.
0: If you want to find out about David's tour, go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel, all the details, the itinerary, the dates, the cost, all you need to know, or call Jody at 423 825 4-7. Well, we're gonna take a break right now. In about two minutes, I'll come back. We'll take a look at the book. It's all here on Prophecy Today. <laughs>
2: Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. How do you like your news?
0: It's time right here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, our broadcast partners brought their reports to the broadcast table with the latest news and then gave us great insight into all of these current events. It helped us to understand how these current events are presently helping set the stage, the prophetic scenario for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. In a moment, I'm going to rehearse for you the lead stories from each of our broadcast partners. However, let me say to you that if you did not hear all of the interviews, you can go, after I get finished giving you this look at the book, to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There, all of my interviews with my broadcast partners have been archived for you to be able to hear them, and then pass along to a friend this information. Tell them how to get a hold of my website, and then how they can listen to these very important, informative reports from our broadcast partners. Now, let me rehearsed the lead stories from each of my broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman, he's back in Washington, D.C. He's on the catbird seat, and he reported that Kanetra has fallen to the Syrian army and Iran along with Hezbollah. Now, that was the headline, number one, as far as Ken was concerned. Let me remind you that Kanetra is located about two and a half miles north of Israel's border there in the Golden Heights of Syria. In 1974, they came up with the Damascus Agreement, and that was calling for a ceasefire, not a peace agreement, simply a ceasefire the war is still on. They're in a ceasefire now, but that is only holding as long as the Syrians decide they are not going to come across that border, go into Israel's golden heights, and try to take the nation of Israel. Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40, the nation that will do that and make the move first of this coalition of nations that will be formed to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, that first nation is Syria, Daniel 11:40, known as the king of the north there. Early on in chapter 11, verse 5, it introduces Syria geographically as the king of the north. Well, as I speak, the Syrian army, as I said and Ken reported on, has taken Canetra. They're two and a half miles away from Israel's border. They're along there with Iran and Hezbollah, Those are three of the major players who will be a part of that coalition of nations to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, Psalm 83 and verse 4. That's exactly what they'll be coming out of that council meeting to do when they all come together in the alignment with one focus in mind, destroying Israel and forgetting her name forever. That stage is set. David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update. He talked about the Knesset vote. Remember, the Knesset is the legislative body of the Jewish state of Israel, 120 members, and some of those members are Jewish, the others are Arab, but they voted this last week 62 to 57 in favor of the bill that is called the Jewish Nation State Bill, which would confirm that Israel is a Jewish state. Ironically, all the Middle Eastern nations, Arab and Muslim, are referred to as Islamic state. And now these Islamic states are in an uproar about Israel, confirming the fact they are a Jewish state. I tell you, God's word confirms that fact. God promised to give the Jewish people a piece of real estate. That's the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, 18 times he said he would do it, he promised to bring all this land together. Chapter 36 talks about the land he's going to give the Jewish people. And in chapter 36, verse 22, the Lord says, I do this not for the Jewish people's sake, but for my holy namesake. When I could swear by nothing greater, I swore that I would give the Jewish people their land, a Jewish state. Winky talked about Tish Av two temples were destroyed on that same day in different years. 586 BC, Solomon's temple was destroyed. 70 AD, you see the destruction of Herod's temple. Now the Jews go up to the Temple Mount, they surround it, they read the book of Lamentation, they pray that there will be a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount next Tishbaav, Av, which is one year from now. I want you to know that that temple is ready to be built. They could have a temple on the Temple Mount, maybe even before the next Tishbaav. Av. John Rood covers the European Union for us, We talked about the problems with Brexit and also the Mediterranean alliance. That's a continuation of the European Union covering many of the Mediterranean states and also some of the Arab states as well all members of the Old Roman Empire, and it was a discussion with John to help us see how close we are to braining about the revival of the Old Roman Empire. All the nations that were included 2,000 years ago are ready to be a part of what the Bible calls for in Daniel chapter 7. Colonel Bob McGinnis at the Pentagon gave us his insight into the Trump-Putin summit and we talked about Russia as not the only threat to America, and we're in a Cold War situation with them, but indeed, China is a major player, and the Bible says both of these, Russia and China, will be in time powers that will endeavor to play a role in God's plan for the prophetic scenario of the tribulation period, that seven-year period of time after the rapture and before the second coming of Christ. It'll be Russia at the beginning, Ezekiel 38, and Revelation 16.12 talks about China at the end and all the kings of the east. And so these major players in the end times ready to be a threat to the Jewish people, but right now they're dealing with the United States, basically the protectorate of the nation of Israel. David James and I talked about his tour, his training tour in Israel. He's getting ready to do a tour in November. You can come along and join him if you contact us at prophecytoday.com. Now, before that tour could actually take place, if everything else that we're talking about with our broadcast partners does come to pass, in other words, they're fulfilled, Well, that would have been after the rapture of the church. We're not going to see these prophecies fulfilled before the rapture, but after Jesus calls us to be with him. And by the way, with everything we talked about today, it's evidence that the rapture could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until...